Hello, this is Jennifer Wolf-Horsch, Executive Director of the International Association of Industrial Accident Boards and Commissions, also known as the IAIABC. You are listening to Accidentally, the IAIABC's podcast where we discuss issues and events impacting workers' compensation programs. During the IAIABC's first podcast, we discussed the 1972 National Commission and its examination of workers' compensation from a national perspective. I encourage you to listen if you haven't already. And if this is your second podcast, thanks for joining us again. During Accidentally, I will ask thought-provoking questions raise awareness of emerging issues, and offer insights on workers' compensation. My hope is to make you think about workers' compensation in a different way. You can listen or download our podcasts each month at iaiabc.org podcast. I encourage you to share this link with your friends and enemies. I get paid by the view. This month, I'm going to talk about the sharing economy and its implications for workers' compensation. This is a topic I'm very excited about because I believe it's going to have a significant impact on labor policy in the future. Workers' comp is unlikely to lead the way, but will be influenced greatly by rapidly rapidly changing employment relationships. Most listeners have probably heard of the sharing economy. It's also known as the on-demand, collaborative, peer-to-peer, gig, or freelance economy. All of these terms describe the trend of individuals connecting directly to one another for the exchange of goods and services. Technology has enabled sharing services to connect people and things in real time. Procurement, delivery, and payment are processed seamlessly through an application on our mobile device. You may have even used Uber, which is an app that connects people to cars, people who have cars, to individuals looking for a ride, and is very often discussed in workers' comp circles. You may have also used Airbnb, a service where travelers can rent out rooms or homes from private citizens. You may be less familiar with services like Upwork, Cargomatic, Pivotdesk, Crowdflower, or Amazon's Mechanical Turk service. Sharing services are multiplying across industries and sectors. Jeremiah Oyang, the founder of the Crowd Companies Council, visualizes the sharing economy as a honeycomb with with industries from retail to finance to energy working together to create a resilient and strong community. Check out the honeycomb and all different kinds of sharing services on the IAIABC's podcast page. Estimates of the size and reach of the sharing economy vary, but the Freelancers Union estimates that 54 million people in the U.S. freelanced in 2015. Price Waterhouse Coopers predicts that the sharing economy will grow to $335 billion in annual revenue in just 10 years.
you may be surprised by the valuation of some of the most successful sharing service companies. Airbnb projects to have $900 million in sales in 2015 and is valued at $24 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars, making it the highest valued hotel operator in the world. Some characterize the sharing economy as a return to a more community-oriented society. Sharing companies work hard to create brand connections that reinforce a more personalized user experience. Participants in the sharing economy are attracted to its flexibility, the focus on reducing consumption, and its ease of use. Critics, however, argue the sharing economy is taking advantage of workers, eliminating important protections like minimum wage, medical leave, unemployment insurance, workers' compensation, and employer-sponsored health care. The present challenge for policymakers at the federal, state, and local level is that all these labor protections are defined by an employer employee relationship. You are either an employee or you're an independent contractor. Unfortunately, there is no standard definition, test, or process which quickly can categorize an individual as an employee or an independent contractor. In many instances, these determinations are made by judges and take into consideration a variety of different factors. The factors that are often considered are the control of the methods, hours, and equipment to perform work, the payment of that work and the reimbursement of expenses related to performing the work, and the integration of that work to the company. The increasing availability of new work arrangements made possible by the rise of sharing companies has made defining the employment relationship even more challenging. I have heard workers' compensation regulators informally debate transportation networking companies, aka Uber and Lyft, who come to opposite conclusions on whether drivers are independent contractors or employees. Numerous lawsuits on this issue are currently working through the courts. In the past six months, the conversation has really switched from raising awareness of these issues to identifying potential new policy solutions. Many have written of the need for a new classification of worker. One proposal is to define a dependent contractor. This concept is already applied in Canada, where a dependent contractor is defined as someone whose economic dependence, usually 80% of an individual's income, is carried out for a single firm. In many Canadian provinces, dependent contractors have the same labor law protections as an employee. This could have interesting implications for workers' compensation. If a dependent contractor class is defined, would workers' compensation coverage be compulsory? And if so, who would be responsible for premium payments, the contract firm or the contractor? 
perhaps some cost-sharing arrangement could be designed. A recent proposal from the Hamilton Project, authored by Seth Harris and Alan Kruger, takes a different path. They outline a new class known as an independent worker, which is specifically designed as a worker that interfaces with an intermediary, i.e. a sharing service company, to serve customers or perform work. This new class of worker would apply to individuals working for sharing services, i.e. a driver who uses the Lyft app to connect with riders, but could also apply to other businesses like a temporary staffing company, for example, a worker who's using a staffing organization to connect with short-term employment opportunities. The proposal defines the independent worker classification and would make individuals eligible for some benefits, including collective bargaining rights, the ability to pool workers to increase buying power, and civil rights protections, including anti-discrimination. Minimum wage and unemployment insurance would not be provided. The proposal specifically discusses workers' compensation as an optional arrangement between the intermediary and the independent worker. An intermediary could design and secure a coverage agreement and would then gain exclusive remedy protections. If a coverage agreement for workers' comp was not in place, the intermediary would be liable for tort suits in a negligent situation. A third idea, not mutually exclusive of the others, is to allow individual worker accounts. Referred to as portable benefits, the idea has gained the support of sharing economy CEOs and policymakers from both parties. The basic idea is that an individual would have a benefit account that would offer workers' compensation, unemployment insurance, and paid time off that could be carried from job to job. Advocates for this new idea have suggested that policy be built on the following five pillars. That it was independent. All workers should have access to basic social protections irrespective of where they earn income. It should be flexible and prorated. Contributions should be prorated based on units of work or the income earned. Portable. A worker should be able to access benefits when needed and not based on a specific employment relationship. Universal. All workers should have access to a basic set of benefits regardless of work status. Innovation. Businesses should be encouraged to innovate and pilot new safety net innovations regardless of the worker classification they use. All of these ideas are a starting point for discussion by policymakers. It is an important first step in recognizing that employment relationships have and will continue to change. Public policy must have a mechanism to promote health, safety, and economic security for all workers.
As the economy and work changes in the 21st century, workers' compensation and other social safety nets may be ill-served by employment relationships which were defined during the Industrial Revolution. Now may be the time to reimagine how workers' compensation could exist in the future. I challenge you to reflect on how changing employment relationships and the rise of the sharing economy will shape work comp policy in the coming years. Thank you for listening to Accidentally, the IAIABC's podcast series. Join me on future programs to hear more about the changing workplace, return to work as a key element of return to health, and more current issues impacting workers' compensation. If you have an idea to share about a future podcast or feedback on this one, I hope you'll send me an email at jwolf at iaiabc.org. Find future podcast at iaiabc slash podcast. Cheers!